0: Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. We pray that every week during worship. But what does it mean for God's kingdom to come? What does it mean for us to be part of God's kingdom? From the early chapters of Matthew's gospel, we have been told that the kingdom of heaven is near— When John the Baptist prepared the way, when Jesus first started his preaching ministry, then when Jesus sent out the twelve, the message was always, the kingdom of heaven is near. So now, here in the middle of Matthew's gospel, Jesus starts giving a glimpse of what the kingdom of heaven is by comparing it to familiar things from life at that time. Maybe these seven parables about the kingdom are somewhat like the story of the blind men trying to decide what an elephant looks like. They are each touching a different part of the elephant, so each has a different impression. The elephant is like a wall, a post, a snake, a spear, a fan, or a rope. Only if they talk to each other, share what they know— and learn from one another, will they have a more complete picture? Two weeks ago, we started this sermon sequence by considering the first parable at the beginning of this chapter, the parable of the sower sowing good seed on four soils. According to that parable, the kingdom of heaven is coming to those with good soil, those in whom God's word takes root. Meaning, the ones who hear God's word, understand it, and do God's will. In today's scripture reading, we have more parables with more comparisons. Listen for the meaning of the kingdom in these next six parables Matthew chapter 13, starting at verse 24. Jesus told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while everyone was sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. When the wheat sprouted and formed heads, then the weeds also appeared. The owner's servants came to him and said, "'Sir, didn't you sow good seed in your field?' Where then did the weeds come from? An enemy did this, he replied. The servants asked him, Do you want us to go and pull them up? No, he answered, Because while you are pulling the weeds, you may uproot the wheat with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. At that time, I will tell the harvesters, First collect the weeds and tie them in bundles to be burned. Then gather the wheat and bring it into my barn. He told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, which a man took and planted in his field. Though it is the smallest of all seeds, yet when it grows, it is the largest of garden plants and becomes a tree, so that the birds come and perch in its branches. He told them still another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like yeast that a woman took and mixed into about 60 pounds of flour until it worked all through the dough. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again, and then in his joy went and sold all he had and bought that field. Again, The kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. When he found one of great value, he went away and sold everything he had and bought it. Once again, the kingdom of heaven is like a net that was let down into the lake and caught all kinds of fish. When it was full, the fishermen pulled it up on the shore. Then they sat down and collected the good fish in baskets but threw the bad away. In the parable from two weeks ago, the sower sows good seed on four soils, representing God's word given to all people who hear and respond in different ways. In today's parable of the wheat and weeds, we again have the sower, identified as Jesus, who sows good seed. But then an enemy comes along, the evil one, who purposely sows bad seed. And the bad seed is sown not nearby, not next to, but among the good seed. So whereas that earlier parable reminded us that there are people with different soils, different hearts to hear God's word— This parable now tells us that there are most certainly elements of both the divine and evil, good and bad, mixed together in our world and even right here in our church. Now, the weed that Jesus was talking about was called tares. It's a weed that looked similar to wheat in its early stages of growth, And by the time you could distinguish them, it was almost the harvest time, and the roots were intertwined. But the bad grain had to be separated from the wheat because it had a bitter taste and was slightly poisonous. So this parable suggests that it's sometimes hard to distinguish the kingdom people from those who are not in the earlier stages. They may appear to be good for a while but are really bad, whereas others may be bad at first but turn out to be good. Sometimes we're too quick to label people without first getting to know them. Sometimes we make hasty judgments and condemn good people while we commend others who maybe aren't so good. Sometimes our condemnations are based on our limited point of view, like the blind men figuring out what an elephant is like. This parable reminds us not to be quick to judge, because when we are quick to judge, we may not have all the facts. Back in chapter 7, Jesus cautioned the people, Do not judge, for in the same way you judge others, You will be judged. Over the years, I've collected a few examples of judging, and I remember hearing a niece comment a number of years back, comment negatively on someone's housekeeping habits because they had more than one empty toilet paper tube in their bathroom wastebasket. I was amazed at the comment and glad she had never visited my house. Now, for sure, she was a fastidious person and had no children, so probably her wastebaskets never got to that point. But I think of her comment every time the second empty tube goes into one of my wastebaskets. A few years back, I heard a lady say that if you wear white slacks, you are supposed to wear skin-colored underwear. Well, first of all, this comment assumes that people have a choice in those colors or have the money to buy the proper color combinations. But again, I was amazed that I had lived so many years without knowing that piece of fashion advice. And I wondered how many times that I've been judged without even realizing it. More than once, parents of well-behaved children have judged other parents whose children are less obedient, only to feel great empathy when they later, later end up with a difficult child of their own. Some children have emotional and developmental problems that are not readily apparent, so if we are not close to the situation, we should be careful about judging too quickly In this parable, the servant's first suggestion is to immediately pull the weeds. But Jesus says, wait, or you might remove the good with the bad. Patience, advises Jesus. It's not our duty to judge, but to gather in all who will come and hear. Patience in the knowledge that God's fair judgment will surely come in the end. In the meantime, this parable says we have to coexist with evil. Now, if you think about history, that's been a hard task for the church. Over the centuries, the church has been known to judge instead of waiting for God's judgment. What about the Crusades, killing the heretics, witch hunts, shunning, excommunication, Most likely, those well-meaning campaigns and rules have killed or discouraged good people along with the bad. Should the church seek to be exclusive and eliminate evil? Or is the church to be inclusive and welcome less than perfect people with the hope that they will transform? Remember that among the 12 disciples... Disciples picked by Jesus himself, both Peter and Judas betrayed Jesus. Even knowing that they would betray him, Jesus did not weed them out. Judas betrayed Jesus, then died in shame. But Peter, who denied knowing Jesus three times, later rose up to lead the new church. In Matthew 9, Jesus said it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. Jesus came to heal the sick. The church exists to teach, train, and encourage those who are separated from God so that they can join in the fellowship of the kingdom. But the transformation takes time, perhaps a lifetime. If Jesus came to call the sick, who are we to try to remove them from the church? Those very people Jesus is calling. On the other hand, there is real danger in coexisting with evil. It distracts us from God's word, from God's love. Sometimes it even entices us into those bad behaviors. Other times it angers us shifting our focus from god's love to hatred and even violence evil invites confrontation on violent terms and violence usually destroys the good with the bad in the soils <clears throat> excuse me in the soils parable the evil one was trying to keep god's word from taking root In this parable, the evil one is trying to get the righteous to destroy the good with the bad. Yes, evil must be resisted, but the manner must reflect God's peaceful way. Another related parable was at the end of today's passage to provide emphasis on God's sure judgment. It's the parable of the net. As with the good and the bad seeds growing together, the lake contains good and bad fish swimming together. So the fishing net gathers in both the good and the bad fish, which are then separated after the catch. The world has good and bad. The church has good and bad. As Christians, we must persevere in our good because like the parable of the wheat and the weeds, like the parable of the net, there will be a final judgment. The bad will be separated from the good. The next two parables are about small things that have tremendous potential. A small seed, in this case from the mustard plant, which is an annual herb that grows several feet high, and the other from a tiny lump of yeast that goes into a large amount of flour to create much bread. There are elements of surprise in this parable of the yeast. First is that positive use use of yeast. Every place else in the Bible, yeast is meant as a corrupting influence and often refers to the Pharisees. The other surprise is how much flour there was. My translation said 60 pounds. Others say three measures, which are multiple bushels or maybe 10 gallons of flour, enough to make bread for over 100 people. In my reading this week, I discovered that this was the same amount of flour that Abraham told Sarah to use when Abraham entertained those three heavenly visitors back in Genesis. From small things, from small actions, great things can happen. God's things. We plant the seeds God's actions result in large plants and bread rising if we only have faith and are willing to take chances. Many local charitable programs started small. I was reading on the internet and back in the early 60s one church was part of a program, a camp and craft program that primarily served South Side Youngsters. But 10 years later, it became Lafayette Urban Ministry with seven churches as partners, as charter members. Today, there are 39 member churches sharing together in this ministry with an overnight shelter and programs to help and support the needs of many. In 1989, Dr. Riggs began a small community health clinic and recruited volunteers to provide medical care to those without. Today, through the combined efforts of many volunteers and donors in the community, there is a multi-floor facility and paid staff who can serve over 12,000 patients a year. Another newer program was in the newspaper just this past week, the Read to Succeed program organized under United Way. It began only a few years ago in 2011 as a pilot in one school, then was offered in five schools, 11, 15, and this fall, hundreds of volunteers will be matched up with students in all 19 area elementary schools. I know there are others in this church who have a passion for ministry, and regularly help or contribute both locally and far away. Perhaps the most exciting lesson, and probably the hardest, comes in the last two parables, both very brief. They both mention a person selling everything for the sake of one thing of great value— In the first, we have a man doing his regular work in a field and not expecting to find anything special, but he discovers a buried treasure. In the next parable, the merchant is actively seeking fine pearls, and yet he finds something beyond his expectations, a pearl of great value. The kingdom can become real to us in either way. Some will discover the thing of value through the diligence of daily Bible study and weekly church, or maybe just daily work at tasks that have meaning. Others will find the kingdom's value unexpectedly or accidentally in a chance encounter but we each must discover that value for ourselves. As we can see in these two parables, the discovery itself is cause for joy and celebration, and yet that is not the end of the lesson. The parables tell us you have to get past the treasure, past the pearl, and take that joy to a new place. The message about the kingdom is more about the next response of the person. I even came up with a rhyme. Your response to the discovery will determine whether you are kingdom bound because you must take possession of what you have found. And to take possession of the new, you must let go of the old. Sell all, it says. This seems to be the hardest lesson. When I first sensed a call into ministry, I didn't go without argument. After all, I already had a full-time job at Purdue and served every week at my church. How could I possibly give more? But God wants our wholehearted faith, our commitment and obedience. And when I gave in to that possibility, answers began lining up. Health insurance was available through my husband's work. I had approval to cut my work time at Purdue and increase my time at the church. The seminary in Indianapolis accepted my application, and there were grants for tuition and books. Maybe we're still hung up on that story of the rich young ruler who was told by Jesus, go, sell your possessions and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. This wasn't the only time Jesus suggested giving up all. Jesus sent the disciples out without money or extra clothes for the journey. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth. The point here is not to make the ultimate sacrifice and give up everything. The point is that when our faith is firmly rooted, when we have completely given our life to the kingdom, we will recognize what treasure we have to gain and willingly give up the earthly treasures. Or perhaps we'll be called to put them to new uses because they will no longer have the old significance So what lessons will you take away from these parables of the kingdom? I think they show us that we are on a journey. First comes the faith growing from the seeds of God's word. If we prepare and provide the good soil, God's word can take root and thrive, giving us the strength to resist evil. Then we were reminded that here on earth we live in the midst of evil, but God expects us to be faithful and do good. God expects us to have patience and resist judging others because God's judgment is fair and will come. The little seed parables remind us to do our part, however small, in our community and the world at large, knowing God is in control. From the little seeds will come an abundant harvest, a sheltering tree, food for the masses. The kingdom is God's gift, God's treasure for us. How we receive it is our gift to God. When our faith becomes firmly rooted, we will be able to commit our lives wholeheartedly to a faithful life of obedience. God's grace, our responsibility. Jesus said, come to me and I will give you rest. But then he added, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. When we pray each week, thy kingdom come, thy will be done, we invite Jesus to help our faith mature so that we can look forward to the abundant harvest, to the absence of evil, to God's great things happening all around us, and to the joyful satisfaction of knowing the true treasure of God's kingdom. Will you pray with me? O God, Let your kingdom come, that we may stand under your word, live it, and share the hope and joy with others. Amen.